Welcome to the UFO Thinker Podcast, my name's Frank, and let's get cracking. So basically, it's been a bit of an eventful week this week, um, mostly on my Twitter, uh, relating to the Tic Tac FLIR footage. So, just a little trigger warning, I know uh, some people are not a fan at all of Mick West, which is fair enough, each to their own, but today I am going to be talking a bit about Mick West and, and some of his... Uh, you know, theories, so yeah, just a, tr- a little trigger warning there for you, if you really don't like Mick West, you might not want to hear this, and also a uh, trigger warning for anybody who's sick to the back teeth of hearing about the Tic Tac video and um, the t- the Nimitz case in general, but I really think it's worth getting to the bottom of this um, and figuring out this thing about the movement and so on, and such an integral case and and I go on about it absolutely all the time and you know it's the most data dense case that there is and things like that and I have done also on the channel as well an in-depth analysis of the Nimitz case and all the various different aspects of it which is probably about 45 minutes an hour long or something so just on the off chance that anybody is not familiar with what happened you, I'm not going to go into that now because it, it's you know, there's a lot of different elements to it and it take ages. So you're better off just going back and having a listen to that episode first if you're intrigued and whatever you and you do want to get into the details, but you definitely need to know a bit of the backstory first. Um so yeah, with all that said then, um let me just explain like where my thinking was with all of this, you know, just in general before. So when I did the initial uh, podcast about the Nimitz case, the in-depth analysis. I basically thought that it was a really significant case, the most significant case in especially modern times. And there's so much data density to the case. You know, we've got loads of credible witnesses. It's it's a military case. There's all different um, people on different aircraft, on different ships, observing what's going on via different pieces of equipment and it's just an extremely compelling case and it's one of the the things that really propelled the UFO topic back into the the semi-mainstream over the last few years and for that reason I really think that it's worth you know getting the clarity on exactly what was going on but when I did the first um, analysis that I did my thing was that in some ways, the actual video, the FLIR footage, is is one of the least compelling parts of the actual case because, um, there's, you know, I thought at the time there's a very compelling explanation for that, done by Mick West, and basically, again, if you want to really get into it, go and watch Mick West's video because he explains everything according to his theories. I think it's about six, seven minutes long, but he, he really breaks it down and shows all of the different um, elements of the, the display that you're actually seeing on the on the FLIR camera. But essentially, um, the point was that there is no sudden moves. I think that's what the video's called if you do want to try and find it. And he claims that the object doesn't actually shoot off at an unbelievable speed like what TTSA and a lot of other people have claimed. But in fact, what's happening is that the camera is actually sweeping in 
uh, to the left to keep track of the object and the idea is obviously it's locked on to this object and it's tracking um, according to the path of the object and um, you can see various times throughout the video where the, the bars, the reticle, actually kind of the, the thing that are, that are actually locked to the, the, the object in the middle of the screen, you can see them widen slightly as the, the camera modes are changed. And Mick West's claim is that you can see the object slightly moving to the left as the camera modes changed and the bars widen. You know, it's just slightly losing lock and then it's getting back to lock again, which I believe is, is the case. Um, but Mick West's uh, thinking with that is that it's the reason for the bars widening and the losing of lock is because of the changing of the modes of the camera. And I think the big difference there is that a lot of the other people who who disagree with Mick West's claims there, um, the, a lot of the other people are saying that it's the erratic movement of the actual object, which is the thing that causes the slight uh, fluctuations in, in the strength of the lock that the system has on the object. And then the most significant thing is at the end of the video, we see the object appear to shoot off, but Mick, uh, Mick West is saying that what actually happens is the camera changes mode again, but this time just can't reacquire the lock, so the object actually shoots off or appears to shoot off to the left-hand side, but that's caused by the object no longer being tracked by the camera. So the camera just stays looking straight in one particular direction and the object carries on on its trajectory, which makes it appear to shoot off. So that's that was my thinking when I did the Nimitz analysis thing that I did. And obviously Mick's, Mick West's thing is all about analyzing of videos. I think he would admit this himself, um, you know, He's not really looking at it from the bigger picture in terms of all of the different witnesses and the way that it, all of the other pieces of the puzzle. He's really just focusing on the video. Um, and like I say, I found it an extremely compelling case, like fascinating and, you know, the best case of um, a UFO being, you know, being witnessed by multiple people and all of the various different pieces of equipment that picked it up. Um, but the video itself... I wasn't particularly convinced that that was really important in the case because there were so many explanations for it. And even if you don't go along with Mick West's um, theory about what was actually happening there, you know, you can kind of see how people could look at it that way with the way that he's explained it. Now then, so that was where I was up to before. Um, and then I saw a video which was put out by Chris Leto and the video was basically Chris Leto again. Anybody who's not familiar with him, just so, just so you know who I'm talking about, uh, he was a an 18 year um, experience uh, former fighter pilot. So this guy knows all about flying planes and the equipment that's used, and he basically does a lot of videos to do with uh, UAP, UFOs, and things, and breaks down why these things actually aren't debunked. And there has been a few cases where he's, he's you know, he's, he's not being correct and he's been pretty honest about that. And it seems to me that the guy really does want to get to the truth of what's going on with these videos and, and with the topic, you know, with, with UFOs in general. So I, I see him as a pretty credible source. And if you're talking about somebody who is an actual pilot who's flown these, these fighter jets, 
you know, very familiar with the equipment. He's not just done it for a couple of years. The guy's done it for, you know, I, th I think it's 18 years or something. It's a long period of time. It's almost two decades, you know. So if you're talking about somebody who analyzes videos like Mick West, who's had experience in uh, computer game development and things like that, compared to somebody who's actually flown a plane, you know, the, the obvious thing there is that you're more likely to believe the person who's actually flown a plane. So Chris's uh, video was, was saying that in the object actually does move off to the left and Mick West is wrong, according to the initial video that was put out. The object does shoot off to the left and it's extremely rapid acceleration and it's not because um, the... It's, it's not because of what Mick West had said, the, the loss of lock and the object just appearing to shoot off. It actually does shoot off, according to the initial video. And it, I have to admit, it was a bit confusing, uh, but I, what I took from it was that he tried to show that if you... Like, basically, that it can't lose lock. It's a very uh, good piece of equipment when it comes to just staying locked on and when you switch modes and things, the object might appear to shoot off just briefly, but then it'll be back locked on again. And I thought it was a compelling, you know, argument. So I basically then changed my mind and based on an expert viewpoint, you know, I thought, right, this is better evidence that has now come forward. I think, that you know, I'm convinced. So I basically tweeted... Um, you know, what I thought, uh, essentially saying um, that Mick West's theory now, I think, has been, you know, reasonably proven wrong. And and then Mick West actually screenshotted my tweet. So I don't know how he actually saw my tweet, to be honest with you, because I didn't actually tag him. I didn't at him in the actual, um, in the tweet. So I can only imagine that Mick West is sat Googling his own name or, you know, searching on Twitter for his own name to see what, to, to get into conversations and debates with people he clearly likes doing that so maybe that's how he found it i don't know but i wouldn't like to presume but somehow anyway mick west found my tweet and actually screenshotted it rather than retweeting it or whatever again don't know why he decided to do it that way but he did and um i actually didn't see it until the day after because i wasn't tagged that's why i'm actually mentioning that um particular thing so soon as I noticed it the day after, obviously there's a lot of Mick West disciples in the comments, um, you know, a lot of people throwing a lot of ideas and opinions around, so I waded in there to start questioning people and to, you know, not not in anything offensive or anything like that, I'm not involved in, in any anything to do with this topic to slate people and to start throwing insults around and stuff, but I actually did want to get to the truth of it, so I dived in there, and started having some, you know, some conversations, some some debates with people to try and get to the truth of the matter. Um, and then, after a few hours of of sitting there debating people, some trolls, you know, some quite interesting people who I had great conversations with. Some people absolutely horrified that I even questioned the Tic Tac video. You know, people within the UFO community, a lot of people don't want to hear it. A lot of people just they've already made their mind up. And I think that's, um, you know, it's bad no matter what side you're on to be that convinced of, about your position on something. If, you know, with any situation, more information is going to come to light, even something that happened that long ago. And if you get experts coming out saying, actually, do you know what, I think this is, you know, I, I do think that it's it's reasonable to change your opinion. So 
some of the people I was kind of having conversations with on there were people from the you know the the UFO community, if you like, um, who were a bit horrified about what I was saying. Some people were from the debunker community, if you like, um, and they were you know horrified that that I was even considering that it might actually be you know a rapid acceleration. And um, anyway, in the midst of all that me having these debates and things, Chris Leto actually then came out and changed his mind about his initial video. So he then deleted his video, the thing that made me change my mind in the first place, and and then he decided that, um, you know, he was wrong in, in what he was saying, and actually he decided that he'd now agreed with Mick West and... The, the reason for the, the object appearing to shoot off to the left was in fact the loss of the lock of the system and the object carrying on in its path appearing to shoot off to the left. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not mocking Chris in any way for having done that because fair play to the lad, you know, fair play to him. It's um, at the end of the day, if you can't admit you're wrong sometimes, there's, there's something, there's a problem there, isn't there? And you know, he showed a lot of humility in being able to own up. Look, you know, I think I made a mistake here. Fair play to the guy. And he, he also fair play to him. He apologised directly to me, you know, sent a tweet saying, look, you know, I know I've kind of, um, you know, put a video out that's made you think this a certain way about this thing. But look, I think I was wrong. So, you know, okay. At that point, I re-watched Mick West's video. Rewatched the... Chris Leto video because he had deleted it but I already had it on my screen and it was already loaded from watching it earlier so I rewatched both videos and at that point I felt like the most logical explanation was no sudden moves again because that's what I'd initially concluded the only reason I changed my mind was the fact that an actual experienced fighter pilot had come out and said yeah do you know what actually Mick West wrong and I thought that was a good enough reason to change my mind but now the fighter pilot's changed his mind so I've changed my mind back again and now what followed next was a storm of bizarre messages saying ha 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 we won um, you know uh, a load of um, troll stuff basically um some some really personal attacks on chris leto um bang bang out of order stuff being said about the guy um you know funnily enough not really any personal attacks on me but i think i don't know people have just got it in for chris leto i don't really understand why i think uh, a lot of the people in the sort of debunker um side of things were you know kind of desperate for him to to slip up so that they could all slate him it just kind of really showed the the uh you know the the grim side of like social media in general really but particularly within you know the the kind of like the the tribalism and the bandwagon type of behavior you know that that you find on on a lot of topics anything that people debate on i think there's a tendency for people to want to have a team you know like there was actually a couple of comments that people made to you know to replies to my tweets uh one guy in particular was saying something along the lines of um you know, talk, I think he was actually addressing Mick West here and he was saying, see if you can recruit Chris Leto onto team reality because team believer, you know, are doing this, that and the other. And I think just the irony of, of what actually was um, 
being said there was completely lost on the person who was saying it because even the initial thing of saying, look, team believer and team reality, that just shows straight away, doesn't it, that you've already decided that your team is correct, you're the ones in the right, and these other people are just idiots, you know? And it's just not good, is it? I mean, it's like... The, my thing is that there should only be one team and that is team truth you know i was banging on about this on twitter the other day so anybody who was on there might have seen that that's all we need we just want the truth don't we we don't want to have people who are absolutely convinced one way or the other i mean there's always going to be people like that i suppose but surely we should all be aiming to not be on a bandwagon like and and the fact that some people actually directly see it as like we have won because they you know I see it that we win everybody wins when we get to the truth we shouldn't have these like teams that you join your opinion is not a team your opinion should be something that you you know it, it's basically a summary of kind of like where all the facts have led you to at that point as facts change and different facts come available, that leads you to a different point. You know, the thought of like going, oh, well, I'm too attached to the point that I was already at. So, you know, even though that new information has come to light, I'm just going to stick over there. You know, that <laughs> that is literally what the Pope was doing when he wouldn't look through Galileo's telescope, isn't it? You know, so baffling, but I could rant about that all day, but I'm, I'm going to move on from it. But yeah, it really struck me how bizarre some of these conversations, you know, were, and I don't normally debate with like trolls and stuff. I have um, Twitter accounts for other things apart from this podcast, like my uh, music stuff that I do and other things. Um, and uh, I've never, I've kind of always had a policy of just don't debate trolls because there's absolutely no point. And that absolutely was reinforced by this whole situation you know it just kind of really reminded me of like why i don't do this stuff in the first place but anyway so after that chris leto then appeared on mick west's channel and basically came to the same conclusion essentially long story short pretty much agrees with mick and um now asserts that the video is very compelling for other reasons but not necessarily for the uh, the rapid acceleration um, side of things so he's basically saying i think i think chris Leto's new sort of take on it is that it does appear to move but it doesn't actually rapidly accelerate like he, he had initially claimed and i think the point that he's trying to make is that there are a lot of compelling aspects to the video such as the fact that you're seeing it side on and it actually does resemble a tic tac and that seems to back up some of the other things that have been said in the witness testimonies etc so from there I did a little poll on Twitter just out of interest, a bit inconclusive. I, I probably kind of worded it a little bit badly in the actual tweet and in, in the, the way that I put it across. Um, I, I think I'd said something like, what was the reason for the movement of the tic-tac in the video? Um, loss of lock, ra rapid acceleration or other. And we had about 42% of people said that it was the loss of lock. 33% uh, said it was the rapid acceleration and 25% said other. Um, so yeah, a bit inconclusive, if anything, probably more people seem to say that it was because of the, the lock of the lock and then it, loss of the lock and then it appeared to shoot off rather than actually shooting off. But then Jeremy Corbell announces that he's going to put out the Chad Underwood interview. So the first time that Chad Underwood, the person who was actually 
line in the plane that made the video, the FLIR video that we've actually been talking about this whole time. Jeremy Corbell announces that the Chad Underwood interview is going to be coming out tomorrow, like the, the day after it was, which is actually yesterday now, so uh, if that makes sense. So how bizarre is that? I mean, the timing could not have been any better, you know. I've been in the weeds, as they say, you know, kind of really trying to get to the bottom of this. And basically a lot of the, the more reasonable debates that I had with people were saying, look, the only way we're going to be able to get any more clarity is if, if we actually hear directly from Chad Underwood. Lo and behold, the next day, the first proper video interview with Chad Underwood comes out. I mean, it's nuts. Um, I don't really think it was anything to do with... I imagine Jeremy Corbell has had this video in the pipeline for a long, long time, so I think it's probably just a coincidence. But who knows? I mean, maybe Corbell has had the video in the pipeline for ages, and then he's seen Mick West kicking up a big fuss about it on, on Twitter and everything, and what's what's been unfolding, and he thought, now's the time. I, don't, I wouldn't like to guess without speaking to Jeremy, but anyway, one way or another, it was very interesting timing to actually hear it from you know the horse's mouth as it were hearing it directly from the guy who actually shot the video so i obviously i watched the the chad underwood interview and it opens up a few areas that were that were oh it clears up a few areas that were that were previously unclear and it also kind of opens up a few areas that you know leaves a few a few question marks and things really so let's go through the actual things that were said in the interview by Chad Underwood and um, see if we can kind of ever think about some of that. So first of all, very significant piece of information I thought was that the target was actually acquired on the radar and then the FLIR was actually slaved to the radar. So there's actually been a few people who have heard talking about this, that how could he have possibly found the uh, the Tic Tac on the FLIR, and there's been a lot of debates and questions about that. And I've heard a few people saying things along the lines of looking through the FLIR with its very narrow range of view is like looking through a straw, trying to find something in the sky. It's going to be very difficult to find it. So um i've heard a few debunkers kind of saying things of that nature as well and now we've actually heard from chad underwood that his version of events is that it was actually acquired on the radar first and then the flare was slaved as they call it to the radar which basically kind of clears that one up so that's basically the end of that conversation we now know the situation with that so the next thing was that he confirmed that he was directed to the target by the Princeton, which was another ship which was in the area, and the Princeton had found um, the the Princeton had actually found the the target on their radar. Then they directed him in his aircraft to the location where it was. So this basically kind of rules out like a radar glitch or something from you know the onboard radar that's actually on the aircraft because it's he's been told to get to it by the the ship you know the princeton so it rules out quite a lot of radar glitch possibilities because if we're talking about you know it's been picked up on a ship's radar and then he has been told to fly to this location and then he also picks it up on his radar the chances of that being a glitch it seems extremely slim to me um and you know 
that's another thing that, that's cleared up basically so we've got multiple radar systems on different you know ships and aircrafts and things all all picking up the same thing and then when he's actually flown to it lo and behold it's there and it appears on his radar so and then the next thing is that chad underwood confirms that there was jamming taking place as evidence as evidenced by the vertical lines which appeared on on the radar and also the 99.9 rng which is apparently the range to the target which underwood states that that's an anomalous readout caused by jamming so if you were being jammed you would expect to see that i think there are other situations that you can see that as well but if you were being jammed that's what you would see on your screen and yeah, I, I think he refers to them as radar jam strobe lines. So that is another thing that's very interesting, is that Underwood has now confirmed that the object appeared to be actively jamming his radar. So another thing then is that the cap point where the object appeared was vacant of friendly aircraft or commercial aircraft. And apparently this was a designated training area. Whiskey area, apparently the, the sort of code name for that is. And that's an area that is restricted purely for military aircraft. And those areas are scheduled in advance so that no other area, uh, other aircraft can fly in that area for safety reasons. I mean, that's pretty straightforward to me. If you've got, you know, very expensive, very powerful fighter jets flying around, whizzing through the sky you're not going to want any kind of aircraft to be in that in that region, are you? So, I mean, when you hear people like the debunkers and things saying that, that the the object was possibly an aircraft that was being picked up and they made a mistake and they've identified it as, oh, we don't know what it is when it's actually just an aircraft, that's one of the really unlikely scenarios, I think. And especially now, that seems to have been even more confirmed that you know the whole area was made sure in advance that there were no other aircraft no uh, military aircraft no commercial aircraft in that area and then obviously the the one that we're all you know waiting for is the object according to chad underwood shot off to the left so underwood states that it did shoot off to the left and this is not some kind of optical illusion it, it, but it did in fact travel off at high speed and this is what actually caused the loss of lock so he's not saying that it didn't lose lock because you can clearly see that the bars of the reticle around the objects on the screen widened it lost lock but he's saying the reason it lost lock was because of the rapid speed that it shot off and that's that's so when the bars widen it does show that loss of lock but that's caused by the object's movement, not caused by the system, the system actually losing lock due to a change in camera modes or anything else. And the impression I got from Chad Underwood is that these systems don't lose lock very easily. So even the fact that the thing lost lock is a, is a good indication of how unusual the object's movements actually were. So that was really interesting. And I've actually got a little voice note of that as well, which I'm going to play and you'll be able to hear it directly. The aggressive maneuver to the left off of my FLIR, anything that is gonna do is gonna be tracked by the FLIR. And so when the target 
maneuvered off to the left of my screen, as you see on the uh, clear display. That was a result of that object maneuvering itself, not me maneuvering my own aircraft. This so there you go. I mean, again, you can listen to that in context and actually check out the full video. It's on Jeremy Corbell's YouTube channel. It's about 25 minutes long. Definitely, if you're interested in this and if you've listened to this far in the podcast, you probably are. Um, it's it's definitely worth a watch. But again, if you've listened to it this far, you may have probably already seen this the video. So that is very interesting. Um, so the, the object's disappearance was confirmed as well by the Princeton radar and it would appear that the object did indeed disappear rapidly so rapidly that even with the aggressive maneuvering of Underwood's aircraft that they they, they couldn't relocate it manually and the Princeton had lost it as well so that's another thing that seems to back up that it wasn't just the camera losing lock because if the object was traveling along at the same speed the Princeton are not just going to lose the lock of the object are they in the same way that the aircraft has I mean it's a different thing we're talking about um you know the ship has got a much wider area that it can survey and when the actual pilot Chad Underwood has gone oh I've lost the thing let's see if the ship can pick it up somewhere even they can't see it very unusual and this is another clip that, that goes into that a little bit so let me just play this at the end of the video we see we see it appears the object shoots off to to our left is that indeed what happened oh yes 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 absolutely and did you like radio into the princeton and ask them where is it yeah absolutely because the, the princeton was our controller to begin with if this tic-tac never existed um uh, and so I immediately got on the radar. I'm like, hey, where is this thing? Because uh, I only have a certain scan volume with my radar and my FLIR, and this thing is gone. And so I immediately radioed the Princeton in my E2 Hawkeye controller. I'm like, hey, this target, based off my bearing and range, where is it? Where is it heading and where is it going? And they were like negative radar contact, which means their radars are, are clean, you know, and, and they, they don't see anything. So there it is. I mean, it's a difficult one. It's a really difficult At this point, I'm thinking I've changed my mind about four times in the last four days, you know. It's like, but you're hearing it directly from, from the, you know, the, the guy who actually flew the jet that, that saw this thing. You know, it's, it's a... It's a baffling one. Now, let's touch on this. So, at this point as well, another thing that gets mentioned in the interview is it looks a lot less likely that this thing actually could be some kind of US black project aircraft. You know, even if you think that there was rapid acceleration that took place, there's a there's a quite a strong indication here from Chad Underwood that actually it wasn't some kind of US black project or secret project or something because apparently Underwood had actually ran into something that was a secret project, a black project before on a separate occasion and the process that you have to go through 
if that is the case, you have to then be debriefed about what you've seen and so on. And you have to, in some cases, sign an, a non-disclosure agreement to say that you won't speak about the things that you've seen, etc. And after this particular event, there was none of that. So that, again, is it seems like a quite a strong indication that this, this thing is not some kind of secret technology that the government actually has or at least if it is it's it's a different ball game altogether to most um secret projects black projects and that that kind of leads me on to some question marks as well that the interview throws throws out there is a little bit of confusion about whether or not chad underwood was actually the pilot or the wso now this might be me just not being clued up I don't know, but I've heard Mick West talking about this over the last couple of days as well, and a few other people as well. And Chad Underwood states in the Jeremy Carbell video that I immediately vectored my own aircraft to the left. So my aviation knowledge is a bit limited, but can a WSO do that? Does he mean that he and the other pilot moved the aircraft off in collaboration or was it just that he was the solo you know the only person in the jet i don't know but you know underwood you know has has said that he has maneuvered the aircraft there's a little bit of confusion there jeremy corbell has, has called chad underwood the whizzle and um it would be good to clarify on that so i'm still looking into that to, to really get to the bottom of it if anybody else knows for sure what the situation was there as far as i'm aware um that wasn't touched on in the new jeremy corbell video um and i'm not exactly too sure as i say i'm not like the most clued up guy about aviation um technology and, and what these planes uh, there's some of them that have one just one pilot who does all the weapon systems and everything um on their own or is it always two people um, you know, more than happy to admit I'm not exactly sure about that particular angle of it, um, but it is something I've seen people discussing. By the time I've recorded this, maybe that'll have been cleared up and you'll be able to read exactly what the situation is there. But the other thing that's a bit vague at this point is, is quite unclear, and again, this wasn't actually directly mentioned in the Jeremy Corbell interview, is did Chad Underwood actually see the object with his own eyes? Because I was under the impression... And this is the way that I explained it in my initial um, Nimitz analysis. I was under the impression that he only saw it on screen with no visual contact with his actual own eyeballs. But Kevin Day has suggested that Chad Underwood did see it with his own eyes. And Kevin Day, Kevin Day is basically the uh, radar operator on the USS Princeton, which was part of the USS Nimitz carrier strike group. Um, so this is the guy who was actually on the Princeton at the time of of the whole thing taking place. So Kevin Day seems to be under the impression, and I think stated in a, an interview that he did with Mick West, he seems to be under the impression that um, Underwood did see it with his own eyes and I think it's at the 41 minute mark he says um, he could see it with his own eyeballs quote unquote and Mick West questions it and Kevin Day responds yeah he saw both system and eyes on 
according to his testimony. And Kevin Day continues, in order to, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. So I'm not exactly sure what he was getting at there, but he seems pretty convinced that um, Chad Underwood saw it with his own eyes. I have heard previously that Chad Underwood didn't have visual contacts and he's only seen it on his actual system screens. Um, but in the Jeremy Corbell interview, Underwood states that it was a white object, a white oblong object, I think he says. I'll play the clip in a second. That seems to suggest to me that he did see it with his eyes or is he just referring to the white on-screen colour that the instrument readout was was displaying? It's a, bit, a little bit difficult. It's one of those unclear bits, but this is uh, the actual description he gives in the Jeremy Corbell interview. Well, it looked like a big tic-tac. You know, and it did, like just kind of this white, oblong, featureless thing. It looks like a tic tac. And, and, and so, is he referring that to the, the, the screen there? What he's seen on the screen? Because that does look like a tic tac. Or is he talking about visual contact? I'm a bit unclear about that. If anybody knows for sure and can point me in the right direction of a direct quote where he says that he did see it with his own eyes, it'd be interesting to know just to set the record straight. And um, another thing that it kind of throws up is that was the more footage, was some of it actually closer up? It sounds like there was. I mean, Kevin Day confirms that the radar showed Underwood's plane getting as close as to have merge plot, which suggests that at one point it was closer than what is shown in the actual footage. Now, it seems very unlikely to me that only one minute or something of footage was recorded. You're not going to get in a in a jet, fly out to this unbelievably mysterious object that everybody's baffled by, and only film it for a minute. So, and and I'm pretty sure I, I recall uh, Underwood saying that there is more footage there as well. But Underwood has also confirmed that there was radar data on tape. Apparently, there were eight millimeter tapes apparently which are no longer in use as well. Now it's um, solid-state drives, but this is quite some time ago, obviously, so back then it was 8mm tape. And Underwood confirms that the radar data does exist as well as the flare footage, but we are very unlikely to see it. It's probably not going to be declassified, for I think he refers to it as for a long time, due to the nature of the data that's contained within the footage. And I've got another little clip of, of him talking about that, which I thought was worth playing. This is a little bit of a longer clip. You're saying you got radar footage or footage of the radar as well during the Tic Tac UFO event? I did, yeah. But the, the world hasn't seen that yet. No, and they're probably not going to see it for a long time um, because the radar tape is... Are, the. There's two types of sensors that we record on the aircraft, active sensors and passive sensors. The FLIR is a passive sensor. The radar, however, is in what we call an active sensor. So it's shooting emissions out and re receiving data in. And an active sensor can be exploited by our enemies if they can see the data that's on that screen. So essentially, there is radar data, but we're probably not going to 
see it at least for a very long period of time, um, which is pretty uh, pretty frustrating, but that's pretty much what we already knew. A lot of the conversations I was having with people before the Chad Underwood interview were basically saying, look, the only way we're really going to know for sure is to see what was on the screen of the 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 actual planes radar and also to see what was on the screen of the actual Princeton's radar and so on but from the sounds of things we're just not going to see that which is really frustrating but it just is what it is at this point now there are some questions that this leaves us with but if we just take this as witness evidence you know, regardless of the actual video and so on, if we just look at it from the broader picture of witness evidence, it strongly backs up from the horse's mouth direct that the possibility of rapid acceleration to the left at the end of the flare video. And if Underwood is, is to be believed, and I, I think there's no reason why we shouldn't believe him, I suppose that's debatable, but the object did accelerate according to what Chad Underwood is saying. Kevin Day has also stated that these objects were witnessed over a period of 10 days and most of them were, most of those those days were before November the 14th when, when the actual Tic Tac incident with Dave Fravor and Underwood and everything actually took place but also some of those took place after and Kevin Day actually saw objects in groups of five to ten at a time. Constantly, he was constantly being called in to observe these objects over a, a very busy period of about ten days. And Captain Smith was apparently the one who Kevin Day actually reported to. And he has never publicly come out either way on this apparently, um, as far as I'm aware maybe will maybe even more witnesses will come out from various other aspects of this and i know some people are keen to move on from the nimitz incident but i still think it's a very important case and i'm certainly not going to complain if we get more information and i always reserve the right to you know change my opinion going forward as i have done in the past and surely that's the logical and reasonable thing to do um but if you're just looking at it from the witness testimony point of view, and with all the things that I now know from, from directly hearing it from the horse's mouth, hearing it directly from um, from Chad Underwood, it seems very compelling that the thing actually did accelerate off. And um, I suppose a lot of it rests on whether or not you believe these individuals involved. Now, Kevin Day also stated that the objects always appeared in groups of 5 to 10 and they maintained a relative distance between each other and were a few miles apart, flying in, in formation essentially. And he was apparently able to overlay commercial airline routes over the display that he had on screen and there were none in that area. And as far as I'm aware, you don't really get commercial planes flying five to ten at a time in formation anyway. So the the objects appeared just off the coast of Catalina Island and headed to right above Guadalupe Island, hopefully saying that right, 
off the coast of Mexico. And Kevin Day states that they were traveling for 250 miles-ish and being tracked for a couple of hours to actually travel that distance. And they were traveling at roughly 100 knots, which is around about 115 miles per hour or 185 kilometers an hour for the American listeners out there. So Kevin Day says that these things only ever broke formation when Dave Fravor intercepted one of them. And even in that case, only the other four objects actually stayed on course and only the one object, the one that was actually the the tic-tac that that we know and love, um, only that object behaved differently and the other four objects actually stayed in formation on course to where they were headed. And apparently then, the one object that did split off from the formation went from 28,000 feet to the surface of the ocean with no sonic boom and apparently found out the next day, I believe from um, another department uh, who had observed this on, on the Princeton, the, they calculated that it was 0.78 seconds to travel from 28,000 feet to, to basically sea level. Kevin Day had basically pressured his colleagues with the safety concerns after initially kind of dismissing the first few days worth of these objects being sighted. He thought they were radar glitches. But after a number of days of observing them, realised that actually we need to make some further investigations on these things. And after Fravor's encounter, the, the object that had split off from the group of five, as I described earlier... And, and performed this unbelievable manoeuvre of 28,000 feet down to the surface of the ocean in a split second. The object then disappears and in an instant appears at the, the cap point of where Dave Fravor and Dietrich were actually due to be headed to. And there's also some mention as well, which is not something I've heard before unless I've misunderstood something here but I didn't realise that basically what happened was the object appeared at the cap point and only actually stayed there for a few seconds and then actually went back to the formation with the other objects that it was that it was travelling along with I didn't I, that was a, an element of the case that I'd never actually heard before so Kevin Day says that he saw the object move from Fravor's position to the cap point in a few seconds, which took was 40 miles away. And then it stayed at the cap point for a few seconds and then back to the formation. Which is, again, if, you, if you're just looking at it from witness testimony point of view, that is pretty significant. Because he saw the object on radar moving from Fravor's position to the cap point, which is 40 miles away, in a couple of seconds. I mean, that that is a, is, is a fascinating thought. So let's try and wrap this up a bit and conclude, because is there a conclusion to be had at this point? I mean, all I can do is just explain where my head is at with it. And in a way, it's kind of the same as before, you know, radar data would be absolutely huge you know it'd change it'd be a complete game changer 
we're, but we're probably never going to get it. You know, if we could see more of the FLIR footage, which it sounds as though from when you listen to all the various different witness testimonies, there could well be more FLIR footage. The, the whole video could be seven or eight minutes long, you know, uh, who knows? But we're probably, is it, I, I guess it's more likely that we're going to get that, but even still, I mean, this case has been a very important case with massive public interest for a long time now and we've not got it so far you know is it very likely that we're going to get it anytime soon we'll, we'll just have to wait and see and i mean elizondo lou elizondo hinted that we'd hear from a voice that we hadn't heard before recently and i'm presuming that that's chad underwood but that's also kind of a hint to me that people like Lou Elizondo are still looking at, at pr proving, in a way, the Nimitz case. Or, not proving, but, you know, verifying it even more than it's already been verified. And if, the, if it was the case that Lou actually was referring to Chad Underwood as the voice that we've not heard from before, is it possible that they're reaching out behind the scenes to even more people involved? If we see you know, another five people, another ten people who all corroborate this story and, you know, back up exactly the version of events that we've heard so far. It begs the question, doesn't it, how many witnesses would it take before people would believe, you know, or not believe, because that suggests some element of a leap of faith, but... How many how many credible witnesses would it take for people to accept that this is, you know, this thing really happened, you know, or to to arrive at the conclusion that it's most likely that it did? I, I think there's some people that even if you had a thousand witnesses, they still wouldn't, you know, be willing to 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 arrive at that conclusion. But this is where I'm at at the, this moment in time. Okay, my feeling is that. I do believe Chad Underwood. I do believe Kevin Day, Fravor, Dietrich, Gary Voorhis, the whole lot of them. You know, there may be some slight discrepancies with the stories, with the account of the events that took place. But to be honest, that's that's normal. I mean, it doesn't seem fishy to me that. It doesn't seem particularly suspicious. But I I do understand that a lot of the reason that I've arrived at that conclusion is is a certain amount of instinct, gut feeling. And without any more radar or video data, unfortunately, that's kind of all we're left with, you know? And that, that brings me back to what I was talking about in the initial USS Nimitz analysis video that I did, which is, it's a fascinating case we hear that there was all different systems and all different radar systems and what have you all picking up the same thing they all witnessed this incredible thing but it's difficult to to 100% believe that because you've not seen that footage with your own eyes and that's always going to be the frustrating thing about this case you know the data density is there but we can't see it you know which is pretty much the conclusion that I arrived at when I did my initial thoughts in the analysis that I did. But the thing that's changed significantly now is that 
Chad Underwood has actually come out and done this video interview. I mean, I know he'd spoke about things already before, but hearing it direct with those questions, clearing up certain things that have been debated a lot, it really seems to point in the direction of, you know, the rapid acceleration at the end of the Tic Tac Flea video. You know, he says, he's the one who shot the video, and he says that it did shoot off to the left. It did rapidly accelerate. Kevin Day says he then saw on the radar the object sweeping across making the move not disappearing and then reappearing which is key i think very important detail that he didn't see it disappear and then reappear at the cap point he saw it sweep across the radar it moved he saw the movement of going from point a to point b and when you add all of that up it sounds to me like the thing moved you know it wasn't the thing the the flea just losing lock and giving the appearance that it moved it sounds to me as though it really did but without seeing what kevin day saw on that screen and seeing the object actually sweep across the radar from point a to point b how certain can you really be and i suppose that is, is where it comes down to the individual isn't it but for me it remains the the best most compelling ufo case i've ever come across it's what got me back into this topic in general and it's what has consumed the last few days of my life to try and really delve into this in a bit more detail um so it remains the best case for me the most data dense case even if we can't see a lot of that density unfortunately and with more data coming out it could get even better but you know, even without that, it's still a huge, very significant case. So we'll leave it there. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this and I hope I've made sense. If there's anything that I've got wrong, let me know because I do want to know, you know, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this case. Like I always say, it's about getting to the truth. It's not about being right. You know, I'm happy to be wrong if it means it's getting me closer to actually understanding what the reality of a situation is. And in general, I'd be interested to hear from you. It's great recently about a lot of people, you know, shouting me on Twitter and, you know, saying this and that. So as long as you're not some kind of troll, you know, feel free to give me a shout. It's at UFO Thinker on Twitter. And um, I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but over the next couple of weeks, I've got some really interesting guests on. So there's probably going to be the next couple of weeks, I think, if everything goes to plan, are probably both going to be interview podcasts. Um, I don't really like to big stuff up before it happens, so I'm not a big, like a hype type of guy. Um, But, you know, uh, if everything goes to plan, we'll have some great conversations, some great interviews to, to bring bring forward on the on the podcast over the next couple of weeks and then after that we'll we'll get back into some speculation and some uh, other bits and pieces and who knows what information and new bits and bobs are going to come out you know between now and a few weeks time at the moment it feels like every time i refresh my twitter feed something you know mind-blowing could happen um you just never know so until next time take it easy Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me in the next podcast. UFO Thinker Podcast.